This is Paul Schneiderman today on the 95th edition of Sports Untold on Rainier Avenue Radio. My special guest today is my friend and Rainier Avenue Radio, radio colleague, Granville Emerson. Granville is the lead host of Lidline Sports, also with Renault Laurent and Otis Stevenson, a very fun show that I recommend. It's also a, a podcast. Uh, Granville's worked as an educator. He was a stand-up comedian in Los Angeles at one time. He's coached uh, high school basketball at Northwest School and Seattle Prep. Well, uh, Granville, I appreciate you uh, being a guest today on Sports Untold on Rainier Avenue Radio. It's fun to get you in the interviewee seat, but we, we can have a little back and forth. But thanks for doing this. Uh, you're welcome, Paul. Uh, don't leave out Cleveland High School where I started coaching high school basketball. That's right. I forgot. I don't know your whole biography. So give me a, give me a little slack. Yeah, but I, I can't leave that one out. That's that's no. where I got got started. So you're a Cleveland guy, but you went to Franklin too, though, right? Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. Absolutely. Gotcha. And I have to ask an important um, question here. Maybe we can settle this on the air finally. Um, I was acute, have been accused by you of trying to run you over a couple of years ago. I saw you outside the Leshi Blue Water and I was honking, Granville, what's up? How's it going? And, um, are we have we solved that problem? <laughs> uh, no, we have not because that's your side of the story. Okay. <laughs> your side of the story was my side of the story is you didn't see me, and then when you saw me, you started honking and waving. No, I saw you <laughs> and I started honking. I was looking on. at your car the whole time. That's why I did not get hit. Yeah, I was accused. I've been accused of vehicular assault. I'm very sensitive about that, Mr. Emerson. But oh well. Okay. Well, again, thanks so much for coming on Sports on Total Radio. Radio. Hey, um, you know the podcast scene, Granville. You know the broadcast scene. You lived in LA. You you, you kind of know the whole entertainment media industry. Um, Lucius Tenebris, you know, who's who's my assistant and helping me with my show and law firm stuff. He he really likes Joe or likes Joe Rogan or thinks he's interesting. I don't want to mischaracterize Lucius's perspective. He Lu, Lucius kind of suggest I should adjust my style a bit maybe 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 utilize Joe Rogan's style what what any thoughts in general you have to talk comment on Rogan specifically but just any thoughts um Granville on just a podcaster style hosting a sports show I'll be honest I don't know who Joe Rogan is you don't know who he is no I know Fred Rogan Fred Rogan. Yeah. I, I guess Rogan's a very popular uh podcaster he was an actor and I guess he's he's pretty controversial um but i don't know grandpa you remember morton downey jr in the late 80s yeah Yeah. and and i remember when downey started in the late 80s when he had that late night show a lot of people just absolutely couldn't believe the yelling and screaming and stuff but that stuff is just kind of common now isn't it yeah it's called shock jock (laughs) Uh, so um and i think it started with howard stern Mm mm-hmm you know, I don't want to go all the way back to it, uh, the whole shock jock thing. And then right. uh, it kind of uh, permeated its way over into sports. And so um, you have people like Jim Rome, uh, who kind of also took that uh, style and, and made a great living out of it. He's um, a big sports shock jock, Jim Rome. Yeah, yeah. But he kind of, it, it all goes back to Howard Stern. He, yeah. He was the pioneer. He's an interesting guy, Howard Stern. And he says he regrets some of, some of his behavior in the earlier days. He's kind of looking back and looking himself in the mirror, kind of wondering about how he behaved it, you know, earlier in his career. Well, I think most people that say and do things for clickbait um, end up regretting the stuff that they do. Yeah. Uh, they look back on it and say, wow, I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I said that. And they did it for ratings. Right. Um, and and it, I, I feel like they felt at that particular time, that's what they needed to do to make their mark and establish themselves in the field. And then when they look back on it, they go, wow, I didn't know I, I went that far. I know it. I know it. Well, I'm trying to get better and live and learn and be introspective, but I, I, I like to learn more from my guests. You know, that every, we all have our styles. I like to kind of listen and learn, but I, I'm not the biggest yeller and screamer, but, but uh, maybe I, maybe I'm, I don't know, being generation X, maybe I'm just getting older and what the younger generation likes more. I don't know. Just trying to figure it well, out. Well, you know, we all, um, every generation looks back at the other generation and goes, wow, I can't believe they're doing that. <laughs> I know, I know. And, and and being 50 now, it's like I'm looking at the younger generation go wondering, like, was I like that when I was younger? Maybe a little bit, but you yeah, know, how pretty it is. much you were. 
Yeah, yeah, I'm still still a kid in some ways. Right. Hey, Granville, you you love sports, and, and we've been friends for about four years now, and you're just you're a big sports junkie, and and um, but I got a couple questions for you about some sports figures that you'd like to chat with. Who's a living sports figure that you would just love to interview, have a conversation with? It could be a GM, player, manager. Who's a living sports figure you, you would just love to chat with? Um, I, I'd have to say Bill Russell. Uh, and that's because uh, the first job that I had as a kid, uh, I believe I was 12, 12 years old. Um, well, actually, when Russell got the job, I was 13. But Bill Russell was the head coach of the Seattle Supersonics, and I was a ball boy. Right. And so uh, those years, um, being a ball boy and, and working under him, uh, I'd love to talk to him about those days. Uh, Bill Russell was a character. Uh, and at that particular time, um, it was his first uh, head coaching job, uh, not being a, a player coach. He was a player head coach with the Boston Celtics. Right. And so I'd like to talk to him about that whole transition from uh, player coach to coach from Celtics to the Sonics and how I thought that he came in and he tried to make uh, – uh, Seattle, Boston West. <laughs> and so, I mean, even our, you changed our uniforms and they looked exactly like the Celtics uniforms, except for they had uh, white and gold trim on the green instead of right. uh, just white trim. <laughs> and we looked, it looked just like the Celtics. And so um, I'd like to talk to him about that. I'd like to talk to him about uh, his philosophy. Uh, he used to bring uh, a baseball bat to practice and kept it underneath his chair uh, during the games. Uh, and I, and I like to talk to him about that uh, and, and, and why he did that. I, I have my thoughts. I know we had a guy by the name of John Brisker sure. on the team, and he was the toughest guy in the NBA. Uh, a lot of fights with that guy. And so maybe it was his way of intimidating him uh, to stay in line and accept his coaching because he had that baseball bat. And so just all of that. Uh, where his kids are now, uh, his son Buddha and I were kind of friends back then. We were the same age. Uh, his daughter Karen, I see her on a, a lot of uh, the. Uh, She's an attorney too. Yeah, I, I see her on a lot of the a lot of the interviews that they have with with Bill. Uh, she's always with them. So I'd love to talk to him. I think he's, he'd be the one. Well, he's a very iconic figure and he has so many insights living through the civil rights movement days and all that as well. Yeah, so. yeah. And I'd love to talk to him about that as well. Um, just uh, what he had to go through uh, as a player uh, living in Boston. Uh, I've read a lot of accounts of, of uh, the trauma that uh, he endured uh, just to be a player in Boston. So, yeah. Um, he would be a fascinating guy to, you know, I, to speak to. I, I've met him a couple of times, but I certainly don't know him. And I asked Steve Rabel the same question I asked you, and Steve Rabel gave the answer of Bill Russell. So you're the second person who I've asked the question of, what living sports figure we chat with. You're the second person that said Bill Russell. Um, he, he's kind of known, isn't he kind of known as a kind of a, kind of a hard to get to know guy, kind of a tough guy, Bill Russell. He's not known as the most personal guy in the world. right? Well, yeah. He's always been a loop personality. Yeah. Uh, and you know, that's, that's just what he is. I think in his later, latter stages, he's kind of opened up a little bit more. Uh, he was a recluse almost at one particular time. Uh, but now, especially since they gave, him the honor of the defensive player uh, of the year award being named after him the bill russell award uh that's kind of brought him out right uh, lives on mercer public. island yeah he's a seattle guy you know so, yep. yeah he's lived on mercer island since the 70s yeah no that's a that's a great name um who's a deceased sports person history granville you would have loved to have had an interview or a conversation with uh I'd probably Kobe. Kobe Bryant. Yeah. Yeah. Probably Kobe. Um, I've never had, I've had encounters with Kobe, but I've never had conversations with Kobe. And one of my favorite stories is um, about Kobe is, I believe it was 1999. And my good friend, Elston Turner was coaching for the Portland Trailblazers. And uh, they were in town. So I picked him up and we went to the, Summer League, NBA Summer League was at Long Beach State University, my alma mater. 
And we were standing in the corner of the gym, Elson Turner and I, and uh, Kobe came walking over towards us with Vanessa. And this was in the height of the controversy with him dating Vanessa and how his parents kind of ostracized him because they thought she was a gold digger and uh, that he shouldn't be involved with her and what have you. And I can remember this day, I watched them walking across the gym floor towards us. And in my mind, I said, wow, they're just two teenagers in love. You could see it. You saw the right? sparks. Yeah, you could see it, right? They walked over towards us hand in hand. Kobe with that big smile, Vanessa looked happy. Uh, and he walked over and uh, shook hands with Elson because, of course, he knew him. Uh, and then uh, introduced him and uh, Vanessa to myself. I shook hands with him and, you and met him. chopped it up about, you know, the games that were going on and how bad the play was because it was NBA Summer League, right? And then uh, uh, he shook our hands and they went on. And, uh, and then after that, every time I would see him, uh, he would like give me a head up, give me a nod, right? And uh, because uh, Elson coached with the Sacramento Kings during that time when the Lakers were um, playing them in the Western Conference Finals. So I would go to Laker games uh, when Elson would come to town and then wait for him after the game in the bowels of the stadium uh, and, and talk to him uh, the whole time until he had to get on the bus. Good friend of yours, Elson Turner. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. so one time, uh, Shaq came over while, while I was talking to him and Shaq and Elston Turner and I are fraternity brothers in Omega Sci-Fi fraternity. Mm -hmm. So Elston introduced me to Shaq, shook his hand, was like hugging a bear. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 then, and then Kobe, Kobe drives by in the prettiest car I have ever seen in my life. It was a cream on cream. Rolls Royce oh my had the top dropped, right? Well, and he was smoking a cigar and he, and he drove by slowly, took a drag from the cigar and blew it in my face, right? And waved at me and drove up the ramp. That's the last time I saw Kobe Bryant in person. It's just so weird. We're talking about Kobe Bryant in the past tense as a deceased guy. I, I just, it's just something surreal about it, Granville, huh? Yeah, um, you know, a friend of mine, uh, their mother passed away last week, um, prayers to their family. And so, you know, we were talking about um, uh, bereavements or people who died that really affected you. And there's been a lot of, especially since COVID, there have been a lot of deaths in the last 19 For months. For sure, yeah. But... When Col when I found out Kobe was Kobe died in the helicopter crash, I literally was stunned. I couldn't even get out of bed, like for a few hours. I was like, it was unbelievable. I, was like, I couldn't oh, believe Kobe? it. I couldn't believe it. I was working out in a little fitness area in Palm Desert, California, when it happened. You know, right before COVID hit a few weeks later, and I couldn't believe it. I, it was just it was just unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, because I was I was really looking forward to uh, watch the career of his daughter, Gianna, because I felt that she was gonna further revolutionize women's basketball. I mean, she was so good and so talented at her age and having a dad like Kobe and she had Kobe's uh, Mamba mentality and Kobe was pouring all of his skills into her. I was really looking forward to watching her. Oh, and for so sure. It was, double, it was a double tragedy. Oh, absolutely. It, it, your, 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 your point's a very good one about the, the, the basketball future his daughter could have had. That, that's, yeah. that's, that's, uh, that's, it's very powerful. Hey, let me rewind for a second. Period, right? Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Um, let me rewind for, for one second, Granville. You know who's a living sports figure I would love to chat with is Willie Mays. Yeah. He, he would be up there um, in, in someone I would love to chat with. I think he'd be fascinating. He just turned 90 this year. So he, he'd be a great guy to talk to. Granville, all right, we've got a couple of Mariners games together. I know you're, I don't, you're probably more of a casual baseball fan, but you, you know, you follow the M's and stuff. Um, what'd you think of the fans erupting so much in late July when Kendall Graveman, the relief pitcher, got traded? It's almost like some fans perceived it like they traded Griffey or Buner in their primes. What'd you uh, think of that? Were you kind of surprised how, how the fans just like all these like ultra casual fans got so fired up about it? 
Well, not really. I wasn't, I was not surprised because what it, what happened was it was, it was the moment that they traded them. Uh, number one, they were in a, in a homestand versus the Houston Astros and they traded them to the Houston Astros True. Who, they were, who they were a half a game behind for the wild card race. Right. So, and then when you look at the Mariners uh, and their abysmal uh, record of even making it to the playoffs and they're in a playoff run. And the reason why they're in a playoff run was because of their pitching and you trade one of their best pitchers. You're like, what the hell are you doing? Right. And here's the old adage. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Right. Well, there was an issue with club control with Graveman. This Toro guy has actually been tearing it up. This guy we got. And plus we got this so Diego. Up. What do you mean by club control? Well, because I think we have Toro through like 2025 and Graveman was a free agent of the year. I, I'm just giving another perspective on it. And plus, if you look at the trades in totality, we got this Costello I'm not, guy. I'm not even talking about the, talking about the reality of the trade. I'm talking about fan perception. Fan perception. Yeah, I got you. I got you. It, it just seemed that, and you're right, we, we had a huge win against Houston the night before, and then Graveman gets traded the next morning or early afternoon. Right. Yeah. Right. Depoto had a, had a, you know, I don't follow all the, 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 the nuances that closely, but he claimed they had to make the trade when they did because one of the guys was in the trade. They supposedly would have to designate him for assignment. There was some complication that Depoto claimed as to the timing of the trade, but. Anyhow, I just I'll figure I'll give you that perspective. Yeah, you know I hear it. It was it, the timing was off, but I I could kind of see the reasons why they did it. But people were ticked off though. There's there no doubt. Hey, um, we want to talk a little NBA salaries today. And I I we when I ran to yesterday, we you know this was a topic that I, I we decided I would hit on today. And I I did a little research, Granville, and the projected twenty. 21 22 season payroll for golden state is the highest at over 180 million dollars the lowest is the oklahoma city thunder that are a little over 76 million dollars that is a hundred million dollar plus discrepancy in payroll between golden state and i hate to even say that the the, the name oklahoma city thunder but what do you think of that discrepancy over $100 million between those two franchises. Uh, it makes sense. You have a franchise that's won three NBA titles, and you've got um, who many say is the best player in the league, Stephen Curry, uh, on, that, on that franchise, and you've got other holdover players from their championship days, and so their salaries are going to be much higher than a fledgling franchise like the Oklahoma City Thunder. Uh, who actually traded away all of their best players. And so they've got a bunch of no names. And so if you're no name, you're not going to be making big time money. So it makes sense. Is that a sign at all that Oklahoma City is in trouble as a franchise? Their payroll is so low right now. Well, I think they are in trouble as a franchise. I mean, the only reason why they're not in trouble or might not be in trouble is because they, they're Oklahoma City and there's nothing in Oklahoma City. And so they'll still put fans in the seats because there's nothing else to do there. <laughs> so, Can you be a little more blunt, Cravel, about your feelings about Oklahoma City, Oklahoma? Can you be a little more hey, blunt? Hey, it is what it is. It's like, what is what is in Oklahoma City? What would you go there for? I don't know the town. I, I, I've never what's, been there. What's the, what's the destination attraction to Oklahoma City? What rodeo? Well, there's rodeo. Maybe I don't know Oklahoma football. That's that's in uh, that's in, what where is University of Oklahoma? That's that's outside Oklahoma City. But Stillwater. Stillwater. Yeah, yeah. Oklahoma State has, has become a pretty good sports university. Yeah, that's college. We're talking, what do you we're talking pros? So the highest the highest paid player next year this coming season is projected to be Stephen Curry at forty four million dollars and change. Granville. Is the NBA, could it be kind of like a derivative during the 2008 credit crisis? Could this whole thing crash when you have guys making 44 million plus a year? Uh, I say no, uh, because if they're paying him that much money, then they're making billions upon billions. Um, most people don't understand. If you look at the NBA now, uh, look at the number of foreign players in the NBA. So if you take this year's champion, uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo, 
he's from Greece. Right. Right. And he's Nigerian born. Right. So the NBA is now and has established itself as a global entity. Very true. All right. So they're making money hand over fist as they expand the NBA into markets uh, that they traditionally have not been in and then also uh, drive their stake deeper into other international markets uh, and, and expand it in Europe uh, and in Africa. And so, um, no, I don't think that, I think that those salaries is just a sign of, of, of the popularity of the game. The strength of the league is a way to look at it. Um, Paul Schneiderman, host of Sports Untold on Rainier Avenue Radio with uh, one of my fellow colleagues on Rainier Avenue Radio, Granville Emerson, the host of Lidline Sports. Um, Granville, what do you see on the expansion front in the NBA? Are you pretty confident that Seattle will get a team back with another city in the next three, four years? We're, we're, what, what's, what's the Granville crystal ball uh, say on uh, NBA expansion? Well, I've said this for, I don't know, probably the last five years or the last definitely two or three years on Lidline Sports. Uh, Seattle will get the next expansion franchise. Uh, and I think it'll be within the next two to five years. The only thing holding Seattle up from getting a franchise was having an NBA ready arena. They have that now in Climate Pledge Arena where the Seattle Kraken will play. And why I'm so confident is because, uh, once again, um, I'll refer back to my friend Nelson Turner, who's up until last year uh, had been co uh, coaching in the NBA for about 20 years. Uh, and uh, he had always told me how the people in the league had been wanting uh, the league to get back in Seattle. The kicker is I do not see the NBA allowing the NHL, the NFL, and Major League Baseball soon to come in Las Vegas and the NBA not have a franchise in Las Vegas. So to expand, they need to expand with two teams. Right. Right? So my prediction is within the next two to five years, the NBA expands to Las Vegas and Seattle. A lot of the pundits see that happening as well, and 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 we'll have to see what happens. And and do you no think brainer. do you think the do you think the COVID financial decline issues will contribute to the NBA's decision to to perhaps expand the next two to five years? Well, I I, I think not in a negative way. I mean, they they're asking their asking price uh, now is one point nine billion dollars for uh, an expansion fee. Yeah. So that will help them financially to expand. Probably. But, you know, some of the owners may calculate it that we have to div up more money and all that. But but uh, I don't have all the, the balance sheets in, in front of me by any means. Hey, Granville, am I OK? I'm a guy I grew up in Seattle, huge Sonics fan. I used to go to NBA draft day parties. And um, even through the 08 season, I'd follow the team. And I knew a lot of the bench warmers were NBA rosters. I just don't follow that much anymore. I'm just still resentful they left is it time for you guys like me to get over it why <laughs> why until we get a team back why do you need to get over it just yeah need to get over it. well that's how i feel i i just don't but i, I don't really know a lot of the average yeah know, well that's what players that's are anymore, that's what happens know? when you don't have a team i mean you don't follow it as close i don't follow it as close either but um but you're you still follow it i i hear you i really don't i mean i think this is the first season that i actually watch games during the regular season since the sonics left really okay yeah. i thought you followed a little more closely no nah, no nah, I, I get i get started uh you ask pepper otis i get started in the playoffs <laughs> yeah get, get more into it um hey i'm gonna have a little a little we like to hit i like to hit a potpourri of topics i'm gonna have a little switcheroo here um i have this book called sports cinema it's fun it came out in 2006 a little outdated now but still fun and this guy the author named randy williams he he, he ranks the top 100 sports movies it's fun it's fun and here's the top five sports movies that he has and he has number one the hustler with paul newman number two bull durham 
Number three, This Sporting Life, a 1963 movie with Richard Harris, a rugby movie I saw. I thought it was okay. Four, Chariots of Fire, great movie. Five, Raging Bull. Do you like that list? And uh, what are some of your favorite <laughs> sports movies? <laughs> You're laughing. <laughs> because I, I don't think any of those are in my top five. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me throw out some other movies, sports movies. Rocky, yeah. Hoop Dreams, the Hustler with Paul Newman. That's about pool. That's about pool. pool. Is that really sports? Well, that's a, that's an interesting <laughs> question. You, you kind of read my mind on my next question there. Uh, this year, <laughs> I, I, I'm that's, throwing... his, that's his number one movie. Yeah, so number like, one. I'm, he has. You disagree? Like, you you have a, a, a questionably. Uh, non-sports movie that you got as your number one sports movie. That, well, that's that's that's, that's interesting. Boy, that. you know, I think Raging Bull was a great movie. Raging Bull is a classic. Yes, that is five. Uh, that's that's De Niro at his finest. One of the greatest actors of all time. Great actor. Uh, Chariots of Fire is too old to be uh, listed in anybody's top ten. <laughs> I thought it was a good movie. Dealt with you know good, but that was like nine hundred years ago. If you yeah, watch I know. Chariots of Fire right now, you. And you're a movie person. You really can't watch it because it it looks too hokey. Yeah, it deals with some heavy topics of like anti-Semitism and racism stuff like yeah. that. But 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 yeah, I I can see how this generation. I like Chariots of Fire. So I, I was mentioning some other ones like Rocky was great, Hoop Dreams, great movie, The Natural. I thought Any Given Sunday of Pacino was a good one. Hoosiers, Eight Men Out, are those good ones? Uh, they're all good ones. There's yeah. um, Major League is one of my favorites. That's a good um, one. Yeah. Uh, Remember the Titans is one of my favorites. That's a good one. Yeah. Um, there, I mean, there are a number. He got game. Like that's a great he got one. game. Is like whew, I can watch it anytime it comes on. I like Hoop uh, Dreams a lot. That I thought that was very well Hoop done. Hoop Dreams is cool. Yeah, that's a good one. Another one that's way underrated took place at Roosevelt High School, the heart of the game. I mean, it's 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 a really good documentary about women's basketball. Yeah, that's a Frazier. That was really good. Great movie. Hey, yeah. okay. So so you pointed out, you're like, which is a good point. This guy has the hustler as number one sports movie of all time. It's and there's problematic. a very problematic. There's an issue of if pool is really a sport, maybe it's more of a game. But listen to this. He also has Caddyshack in the top 100. Is Caddyshack a sports movie, Ground? It's in the top 100. He has a top sport sports movie. Movie. It's about golf. Yeah. As its, as its premise. True. It's sports movie. It's a great movie. I think of it more as a comedy than a sports movie. It's a comedy, but it's a sports movie. Sports True. comedy. All right. We'll, we'll, we'll keep shifting. Just like, uh, 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 yeah, well, I was going to say something else, but go ahead. No, you can say what you want to say. But we'll, we'll keep Caddyshack as a sports movie. You know, there's that debate whether Die Hard is really a Christmas movie. That was That was one of those late. December 2020. It's a Christmas. It's a Christmas movie. Yeah. Ta maybe there's a tangential Christmas time. It, it, we'll, we'll... it doesn't, it doesn't, it's not the feel good Christmas movie. True. It's an action Christmas movie. Yeah. All right. We'll, 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 we'll categorize you have, it. You have, you have nowadays, you know, back in the day, they didn't blend categories, but now categories are blended. Yeah. You, you have, used to be, it was either a drama or a comedy, but now there's a category called a dramedy. You're like, how can this guy put a pool movie is the number one movie of all sports movie of all time? Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Problematic. All right. Hey, have you ever talked sports movies before on your, your show or any other show? Um, we've dabbled in it a little bit um, just as a, a, like a side topic. Sure. Uh, when, when I found out that Otis had not watched Blue Chips. Well, he's younger. He Maybe that's, is that, I saw Blue Chips with Nick Nolte, I think. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good one. Yeah. 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 Penny Hardaway. That's a good movie. That's a good one. That's good. I thought the natural good, man. You, you know, Nick Nolte, he was really good in blue chips. I mean, if you, he was the quintessential coach. If you talk about a believable coach, quit in blue chips. Nick Nolte was blue. I like Nick Nolte as an actor. Person. He's a great actor. He's That's a guy. good movie. Paul Schneider again on sports untold on the 95th edition with uh, Granville Emerson. All right, um, let's talk the Hawks for a minute. Um, Russell Wilson, Seahawks, right, right. So Russell Wilson's salary has, you know, a lot of Hawks fans have gone back and forth whether they should have given that big deal, what was it, a year or two ago. But I noticed that his salary is now like the fifth or sixth highest among NFL quarterbacks. Um, does that at all, Granville, change your analysis and whether the Seahawks did the right thing giving Russell Wilson that big deal, which is not as big now as it looked a couple years ago? 
So what happens with quarterbacks, quarterbacks are the highest paid position in the NFL. Right. And whether or not you are the highest paid quarterback has nothing to do with your ability, but more with the timing of when your contract uh, uh, expires and you have to renew it. And so at the time when they signed Russell Russell Wilson, because of what happened with Kirk Cousins in his contract, uh, they had to sign Russell Wilson for the amount of money that they signed him for. And so uh, it is what it is. If you don't, if people don't understand salary structure, then they'll say, well, how is he the highest paid quarterback in the league when he's not the best quarterback in the league? But that has, those two are two separate different things. Did you see that Josh Allen has a bigger deal now than Russell? Yeah, because Josh Allen's rookie deal expired while Russell Wilson was still under contract. Right. If their deals expire the same year, Russell Wilson would be paid more than, than, than Allen. Makes sense to me. Should the Hawks give Dwayne Brown a deal, the 36-year-old defensive guy? Absolutely. He's still productive, right? And so, uh, and they have nobody else to replace him at the most valuable position on the offensive line, left tackle, all right? And so uh, you see uh, the Rams' Andrew Whitworth is still being productive at 40 right for the Rams and so um, there's no sign that Dwayne Brown uh, who was ranked I think number two uh, at not allowing pressure to a quarterback last season so yeah you got to pay him 36 years old still give him a contract yeah so you you know it's fun fun talking to you because a couple years ago let listeners know this I was part of a Rainier Avenue Radio NFL draft discussion talk. You were there, Pep was there, Dupree was there, the four of us talked. And I mean, I was really impressed at some of the names you threw out. Like you, you, you suggested the Hawks were gonna we're gonna seriously consider Rashard Penny. And yeah, Rashard Penny they shouldn't have though. Yeah, what's that? Well, they did <laughs> take they him. They shouldn't have. He hasn't done anything. Yeah, but they took him. And I, I was impressed that you that you came, you know, that you you study enough, you came with his name. So I want to throw you a bone there. That was impressive. All right. So I want to talk to you about Mike Holmgren. I, I, some of the KGR guys feel very strongly Holmgren should be in the hall of fame, which is understandable. He's part of their network. And uh, Hugh Millen the other day was like really adamant that Holmgren should be in. So the other day I went online and I read an article by a guy, um, a guy by the name of Troy Taylor it was a March, 2021 article online. It was very well written. And he mentions 10 coaches who he believes should be in the hall of fame. And he has Holmgren fifth in the order that the coaches he has 10. He has, he thinks Jim Moore has the best case. The coaches are not in the hall of fame, nine bum Phillips, eight Dick Vermeil, seven, Mike Shanahan, six, George Seifert, five, Mike Holmgren, four, Don Coriel, three Chuck Knox, two Dan Reeves, one Marty Schottenheimer. Does a guy like Chuck Knox have a better Hall of Fame case than Mike Holmgren? Help me help me uh, extrapolate uh, that. Does Chuck Knox have a Super Bowl? No, I don't believe he does. No, he does not. Yeah. I think Holmgren, uh, I, I don't know. You read that list off. I can't believe a lot of those guys aren't in the Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. I can't believe Schottenheimer is not in the Hall of Fame. Uh, I can't believe uh, who else did you Dan have? Reeves. I, I was surprised Dan Reeves is not in. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, those are all really, really good coaches. Yeah. Now, Holmgren has won a Super Bowl and took another team to a Super Bowl. Right. And arguably got robbed in that Super Bowl that he lost. True. And so, and so I would say Holmgren belongs in the Hall of Fame. He also has two additional rings as an offensive coordinator, Granville. He mentored a lot of great. Yeah, coaches, um, three NFC titles. I think Holmgren has a good case, but um, and one thing, Granville, don't you think most Seahawks fans, and not at all to bash the late Chuck Knox, he was a great coach, but don't you think most Seahawks fans would feel that Holmgren has a better case to be in the Hall of Fame than Chuck Knox? Oh, I do. Yeah, I do. Yeah, just think it's interesting. Um, do I mean, you see? Go ahead. I mean, he, he, like I said, he took two different franchises to the Super Bowl. Uh, I don't know. How oh many yeah. Coaches, I don't know how many coaches have done that. Right, right. Kind of interesting. This is just one guy's opinion that he has Holmgren number five 
of the coaches who are not in and should be in. He has Coriel, Knox, Reeves, and Schottenheimer higher. I'd have to probably crunch the numbers and go through the yeah, stats. Yeah, I'm Don Coriel is not in the in the, in the Hall of Fame. Uh, AFC, NFC, uh, the history of the game. Uh, he changed the game. I mean, we the, the ball is is uh, in the air now, um, like it was then. Uh, uh, when Coriel was coaching, the NFL was basically a run league. And he brought to the game uh, the passing game, uh, right? And 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 is it is called Air Coriel. It's true. So, and so, yeah, he deserves to be in the Hall of Fame for sure. You know, another innovativeness. Oh, no doubt. I mean, I hear you. He was a great coach. You know, one thing about Don Coriel that's almost like an afterthought or a footnote. He's a University of Washington guy too. He I played you Yeah, he played you dub for like a year or two. I, I, I it, yeah, people for some reason don't label him as a husky but he i think he has a year or two in the uw yeah. yeah so that's another little little well that's that fun, fun conversation and do you think pete carroll uh when he retires will be in the hall of fame uh pete will definitely be in the hall of fame because of what he did in college and in the uh, nfl yeah and one thing i think well the college football hall of fame is separate but one thing carroll has going for him too granville i would think is that he was a great coach of the 20 teens decade as well. Yeah. That would probably help his case. Grab a little switch of subjects here again. Um, I want to get your take on the Seattle Kraken and they're going to, they're, they're going to have their first regular season game in October. The Kraken have hired two African American men to be part of their broadcasting team. Um, do you see the Kraken becoming a franchise that can really introduce hockey to more communities, not just community of colors, but to in general, do you think this crack, the crack in our, could there be something to steal Joe Biden's line? Could this be a big effing deal? The Kraken? <laughs> well, uh, history has shown in the city of Seattle. That, yeah. Uh, major league uh, professional major franchises uh, have a direct impact on youth sports. And so there will be no doubt uh, kids that gravitate towards hockey and how many and how fast really depends on the outreach of the Kraken into the community. So for instance, um, when I first moved back to Seattle from Los Angeles and I got involved with coaching basketball, um, Rick Dupree, uh, who does one-on-one uh, -on -one with Dupe, no, I'm well. Um, He's our colleague and friend. Uh, yeah. Uh, he was working for the Sonics at that particular time. And he got me involved with a lot of Sonic Storms basketball camps. So we went out into community, into the community and we put on these camps. Uh, and so those type of things help bring interest to the sport um, when you reach out to youth and invite them in to meet your players to uh, be involved with your players in, in playing that particular sport. Uh, and so if the Kraken do that, of course, yeah, there'll be um, more interest in hockey in Seattle than there has been uh, historically. Do you, do you feel uh, pretty good that there could be, I don't know if renaissance is the right word, but some sort of real heavy interests of hockey and some communities of color. Could, did you see this thing? It, it depends. It depends on the success of the franchise. People love winners. And so if you could, you can, you can ask most top basketball players that come out of Seattle, uh, what influenced them the most to pick up the basketball and play the game or, or, or to work hard at playing the game. And they'll point directly back to, the uh, Sonics that played Michael Jordan and Chicago Bulls in the NBA Finals. Right? Well, so so if the Kraken ascend to a level where they're playing championship hockey, there's no doubt that there'll be uh, players in all communities that say, "Hey, let me play that game." And then once you play a game, I don't care what that game is, you might find out that you have either either and or talent or passion for that game in seattle's had a club hockey scene for for decades um so maybe that could be expanded to some more communities we'll see we'll see oh, yeah i mean i i used to go to 
the Seattle Totems games when I was a kid. And so, yeah, I mean, hockey's been around in Seattle. Yeah, Seattle Thunderbirds. I, used, I, I, I went to a couple of their games at the Showware Center out in uh, Kent. Those are fun. Been a couple too. We can't forget the 1917 uh, Stanley Cup, the Seattle uh, franchise that won the, the, the Stanley Cup. 1917? Been a while. I know. Been a while. 1917? What yeah, year was well, that? Well, I wasn't around then. For <laughs> <laughs> <Were> you? For you? <laughs> so. <laughs> hey uh you got time for a few more questions granville i'm, ha I'm having a great time you got time for yeah. a few more questions thanks thanks um hey uh this whole nfl covid policy is getting controversial they have a policy where i believe if a team of unvaccinated players or staff causes an outbreak and if a team has to be rescheduled the team will forfeit the game um there's provisions where players on both teams will, ha will have to forfeit their weekly salary if the game gets forfeited um, DeAndre Hopkins, there's some prominent players protesting it. Uh, what do you think, Granville, these uh, COVID protocols the National Football League is enacting? Uh, drastic times require drastic measures. And we are in drastic times, uh, not, um, well, should I say, trying to prohibit another shutdown in our country uh, with the Delta variant. And so if people don't want to get vaccinated, then they should suffer some repercussions. They should be required to do whatever they need to do to make sure that the people around them are safe. And so people don't understand that the COVID uh, uh, protocols are really not so much about you as it's about other people because you could have COVID and be asymptomatic and give it to me unknowingly and I die. Yeah, that's no joke. There's nothing, there's nothing like that. <laughs> there's, yeah. There's no other disease like that, right? And so that being said, we have to take the steps to mitigate that. And if people don't want to volitionally mitigate it, then it has to be required. Well, I, I think you're 100% right. I and mean, we, 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 I, I agree with you. And, and, and I'm going to put on a legal hat for a second. You know, there was an old 1905 U.S. Supreme Court case. The U.S. Supreme Court ruled that a mandatory Massachusetts vaccination pro program is constitutional regarding the smallpox. If you want to go back 116 years, there is Supreme Court precedent on this. So when people get so riled up about leagues and other institutions taking measures like this, I'm not going to totally go there, but there, there is a legal case for complete mandatory vaccinations. Just food for thought. You know, when it, when it comes to pub, public safety, it's what needs to be done to keep the public safe. And, yeah. and if uh, that infringes on your so-called civil liberties, then they, that's the way it goes. Yeah. Uh, and, and so people need to understand that. It's just a shame that uh, wearing a mask and getting a vaccine has been so politicized that we're in this predicament that we're in. Like everybody our age has had vaccines, right? And this Polio, smallpox. This is the first time, man, come on, man. When I was a kid, I got rubella, smallpox, chickenpox. Oh yeah, all, right. All kind of different vaccinations, right? And adult, you get shingles vaccination. There's all kind of vaccinations. And so I get a flu shot every year. So I don't understand. Well, I do understand. I understand it happened with, with the last president of the United States who politicized the whole thing. He weaponized masculinity and things like that. Yes. Uh, and so you have people that don't want to wear a mask, which is dumb to me. Like it's to protect your safety, just like wearing a seatbelt. You're going to say I'm not wearing a seatbelt because you're infringing on my civil liberties? Well, you'll get a ticket. It right? really is. A, it really is a public health, public safety issue. So what would you tell DeAndre Hopkins and some of those guys protesting? How, how, what would you say to those guys if you ran into them? You know? What would I tell them? Yeah. Just what you're telling me right now, basically, right? I would tell them that if you don't want to get vaccinated, you have to do what the league wants you to do. Yeah, right, right. How would you handle or, Nick? Or, 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 or you're not play. You, you make the choice. You got everybody got choices in life, right? There, nobody's making them do anything. You got a choice: get vaccinated or follow the the, the uh, COVID protocols. You're not going to just not do either one of them. Right. 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 
And if you don't do either one of them, then you don't deserve to play. I, I tend to agree. And that's your choice. How, how should Nick Rolovich at Washington State be handled right now? I'd fire him. I'd fire him. He's putting uh, – the kids look up to coaches, and he's putting their lives in danger and, and, the, and the lives of their family members and friends in danger. I wonder how his contract is written. He signed it, I think, in January 2020, right before the pandemic really hit, mid-March of 2020. I, I'd be very curious to how about the contractual language in his, in his deal. I, I, it just kind of fascinates me. You can get yeah. rid of anybody. Yeah, you right. Know, pay him or whatever, but pay right him now he's endangering the lives of people. Yeah. I, that's, it's, that's irresponsible as a head coach. And they're requiring – and the universities in our state are requiring – um, students and staff to be vaccinated. I, is there an exception for Rolovich? He's a faculty member of Washington State University. Right, right. I mean, so. hey, I coach basketball at Seattle Prep. All of our students and faculty have to be vaccinated. Right. Or you can right. go find another job. Right. May I get a couple more questions in? Paul Schneiderman of Sports Untold on Rainier Avenue Radio with Granville Emerson, the 95th edition, having a lot of fun here. Granville, I read an article this morning in the Atlantic. It's a very provocative article. And it's a good, good, good online magazine. And the Atlantic article, the title of it, is it time to ban the Olympics? And this writer's opinion is the Olympics are synonymous with overspending, corruption, and autocratic regimes. This writer believes the IOC is corrupt. Um, Tokyo Olympics have gone, I believe, the projected amount, it would cost $7.3 billion, went to $28 billion dollars. Banning the Olympics, does that go too far? Uh, of course it does. I mean, you know, writers write. That's their job. Opinion writers write opinion pieces. That's their job. And so it goes back to what we were talking about earlier about shock jocks. Well, you got shock writers, right? They, they come up with crazy outlandish uh, stories and theories and then, and then do some pseudo research to try to justify their opinions. And then put out an article like like he did. Of course, everybody knows the IOC is corrupt. It's been corrupt, right? The Olympics are not about the IOC. It's about bringing nations together. That's what it's about. That's what it's always been about. And so, uh, try, work to clean up the corruption. But you know, you don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Well, I think banning them goes too far. But here's another idea. I had a guest on my show, a sports economist named Andrew Zimbalis, and he believes the Olympics are a financial dog for. For, for most cities and countries that host them. He believes they should have- Hold on, hold yeah. on. You've a financial dog, then why do cities want the Olympics? Well, it's a lot of prestige, but here, here's Zimbalist's proposal. Well, it makes the city money. Well, there's a question, because a lot of cities have gotten to debt in countries like Rio in 2016. But here, here's what Zimbalist proposes. Give me your opinion on this, Granville. Zimbalist proposes they should just have the Summer Olympics every four years in the city of Los Angeles. He believes LA has the infrastructure, he thinks they should just do an LA every four years. What do you think of that? Um, no, uh, because part of the, the intrigue of the Olympics is the city that it's going to be in. And then going to that city to compete for the athletes, going to that particular Olympic village, all the Olympic villages are different. Uh, and that's the experience that the Olympic athlete has. And then you have, uh, because, uh, well, in non-COVID years, then you have family and friends who travel to the Olympics. Just for instance, I have a kid that I coached who's German. And uh, I talked to him about the potential of him uh, playing on the German national team in Paris in 2028. Uh, Was it 28? No, that's LA's 28. 2024, so I messed up because we have COVID. 2024. And so if that happens, I would go to Paris, right? So uh, that would be a lifetime experience for me, right? And so you'd be taking away people's lifetime experiences of traveling to a destination to watch their friend or family compete in the highest national event. So you, don't, you just don't buy the premise that a lot of these cities that host Olympic Games end up being in financial trouble. You just don't buy that premise. No. And if they are in financial troubles, because that particular city mismanaged it. And you know yourself, every, every, all things are not equal, right? If you have someone who manages 
the budget for the Olympics for the construction of venues uh, and everything, and 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 um, and you're able to to bring in money and 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 it, the Olympics once it comes to your city is not a finite window. It continues because you have attractions that tourists come to that you can point to that this was where this took place during the Olympics. You're just a big fan of all train Olympics every four years. You like that concept. You like it a lot. I do. Yeah. I mean, okay. well, I mean, that's the way it's been. I don't, I don't, I don't see changing it um, because a particular city didn't make money on it, but I know cities that made a lot of money on Olympics. Right. Atlanta may have done a little better in 96, but, but I'll have to look at some of that data. Well, Granville, so much fun to have you on and do a one-on-one with you outside of a Mariners game or outside the Blue Water. Fun to get you on the air. Uh, Maybe one more final question here. Would you agree Simone Biles is owed an apology by some people that criticized her? Well, unless somebody's going to be honest about it, they're not going to apologize. I I don't know if she's owed an apology, but I know that she doesn't owe them anything either. Um, One of the aspects of being in the public uh, spotlight is you're going to be criticized for whatever you do, good, bad, or indifferently. And so you got to be able to accept that criticism and keep going towards your own particular uh, goals as an individual athlete or uh, in spite of the criticisms. The criticism is always, always going to be there. But I don't think that she owes anybody anything for the decisions that she made for uh, her own mental health. Uh, she's accomplished enough. She's the greatest gymnast in the history of gymna- gymnastics. She's got the medals to prove it, uh, 31 medals. And so nobody's even close. And so she can do what she wants to do. And I thought that what she did was uh, somewhat decrease her profile so that her teammates uh, could get some shine uh, during that particular Olympics. And uh and that happened where you heard other, uh, you saw other gymnastics, U.S. Gym, uh, gymnasts uh, win gold medals and other medals that probably would not have won if she could. Something else about Simone is she's a sexual assault victim as well. I mean, there's a huge picture to her on the physical, emotional health side. I mean, she's, so what she's accomplished yeah. is incredible yeah. when you when you yeah. consider what she's gone through. Well, Granville, so much fun, and I will see you soon. And thanks for coming on uh, Sports Untold today. All right. Thanks for inviting me. Appreciate you too. It. See you, Granville. Take care. Bye-bye.